Stay tuned for Occupied Territory, America. This is Occupied Territory America, and I'm the host here, Mike Fader. We have a guest today who has written a very important book, but just before we get to him, uh, this show is heard by thousands of people. I am reliably informed, and it also is loaded onto other radio stations, so it's rebroadcast by other radio stations. Uh, we don't have really, you know, you know, the... the ability to check and see, obviously. We don't have the you know, money for Arbitrons or whatever else it is that goes on. And I don't know how the Internet can actually um, can uh, specify these things, or there are tools for it. But bottom line is we don't really know exactly who's listening, where they're listening, who you are when you listen to this show. So what I want to do, and I haven't asked anybody about this the whole time the show's been on, which is about two years and two months now. I want to know who's listening. So uh, the way to do that, and it's just, you, you don't have to call up, you don't have to get involved, just send me an email, tell me who you are, where you heard the show, on what station, this station, some other station, um, just give me a little bit about who you are, and um, any comments you want to make on the show. So uh, the way to do that, simplest way to do that, is go to my website, it's called Fader Files, it's F-E-D-E-R, F-E-D-E-R, F. I-L-E-S dot com, faderfiles.com. And on the home page there, on the front page, you'll be able to see a place to contact me, an email address. So anybody who's listening to this, do me a favor. Uh, get in touch with me. Let me know you are listening. Let me know where you heard the show, on what station, where you are, maybe what you do in the world. And I'd like to know. Okay, today we have a guest with us, um, Peter Byrne who's written a new book called um, Diane Feinstein's... Uh, Peter, you know, I, I like I like this title so much. Why don't you say it? It's Peter Byrne, B-Y-R-N-E. It's a, he's done a long, deep investigation of what's going on in the post office and what kind of corruption and fraud are going on. Uh, you know, like, for instance, if you just tried to... Um, did you get your mail yesterday? Did you pick up your mail? Did you go to the local post office to mail off a package to somebody, maybe for the holidays? How long do you think you're going to do that? If you read this book, you're going to, your eyes are going to be open permanently to the incredible fraud that goes on uh, behind all this. Uh, so, Peter Byrne, why don't you tell me the name of the uh, book? It's called Going Postal. U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein's husband sells post offices to his friends cheap. There you have it. There you have it. And the book is is really uh, very much worth reading. Uh, Peter Byrne is an award-winning investigative reporter and science writer based in Northern California. And his website, if you want to get more information, see more about his writings, and check out uh, more about the book and maybe buy the book, which would be a really good idea, uh, reward him for his work and because the book is well worth reading. The website is um, peterbyrne.com. 
I guess you can go to peterburn.info, right? Yeah, it's Peter Byrne, B-Y-R-N-E, dot info, I-N-F-O. And the book's on Amazon. If you uh, go to Amazon and put in Going Postal and my name, B-Y-R-N-E, or uh, Senator Feinstein's name, um, it'll pop right up, and it's an e-publication, mm-hmm. which means that you can read it on any of your devices. You can download a Kindle app from Amazon and read it on any device. Or, and it's also print-on-demand now um, mm-hmm. because it's popular, and uh, so there's a print version. Um, the EPUB's pretty cool because it links to all the public records that uh, support every assertion oh, in, the, in the book. Mm-hmm. So you could just click on something or... Yeah, if you're reading mm-hmm. through the book and it says uh, such and such a contract and such and such a date, you click on it, and it goes to uh, Document Cloud, which is run by um, a great organization called Investigative Reporters and Editors. Just about all of the Edward Snowden material that you read in The Guardian or the, or the New York Times or The Washington Post or anywhere, for example, uh, is hosted on the Document Cloud. Mm. Almost all of the investigative reporting uh, done today uh, turns to the document cloud, which is, is free. It's a, it's a public service uh, to host thousands and millions of pages of public records for the various projects that we investigative reporters do. And uh, the book, uh, as you mentioned, is um, you can go on there and you can order a pa- what is it paperback, right? Yes, paperback. It's, okay. it's a nice little thin volume. Um, I, I highly recommend if you can get it in EPUB because it, it was kind of written with that in mind. Okay. Uh, you know, but but the print version is also quite nice and readable. Even my own mother liked it, which is pretty extraordinary. <laughs> well, then you got it made. All right. Uh, so uh, let me read a little bit of... Um uh, a couple of paragraphs at the beginning of an article you wrote on Alternate, which is uh, an introduction into the whole meat of the book and what's going on here, and a few other things, too. Uh, it says here, On July 27th, 200 singing and chanting people demonstrated on the steps of the historic main post office in downtown Berkeley, California, to protest its upcoming closure and sale. A city council member took the microphone to angrily decry the closure. In fact, the Berkeley City Council had voted unanimously to oppose this sale. So why the day of rage? When a post office closes, it is obviously that much harder to buy a stamp, pick up a package, send a registered letter, or purchase a money order. But the inconvenience, but inconvenience alone did not account for the existential angst being expressed by the mostly over 50 throng as it questioned the motives of the United States Postal Service for selling post offices all over the country to developers. Quote, which of our public assets will be privatized next, speakers asked. Streets, schools, the Lincoln bedroom? So let me ask you this, um, let me ask you this question. I get, actually, I don't know how this happened, but probably my wife who orders stamps and I'm on the same email as her. I get regular updates from the post office all the time telling me what terrible shape they're in, that, they, you know, that they're going to have an $8 billion shortfall this year, and they're going to have to sell post offices and lay off people. And um, this is the uh, propaganda of the U.S. post office. The post office is selling off all these post offices. They're talking about laying people off. They're saying they're going broke. You get a hint behind it, if you have any smarts, of privatization in the air. Do they need, are they in this much trouble for real, and why... And why would they be selling off the post offices? Well, basically, they're lying through their teeth. They're experiencing a deficit, but it's an artificial deficit. Until 2006, the post office was in the black. It was a profit-generating corporation. 
And in 2006, Congress, led by Daryl Issa of California, who made a fortune in car alarms, decided to make the post office prepay 75 years worth of health care benefits worth $55 billion. This is unprecedented. There's no other government agency or indeed any private business in the world that is compelled by government to prepay 75 years worth of pension benefits, in this case, health care benefits. What, what was the, what was the uh, argument that they made that they would do such an insane thing? There was no argument. It actually wasn't even debated. It was passed like a couple minutes before midnight, right before they broke for Christmas. Bipartisan? So, passed? I mean... Yeah, bipartisan. It was passed unanimously uh, by a, 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 you know, a consent calendar. Amazing. Uh, the Democrats backed it right along with you know this uh, very right-wing uh, car alarm specialist from California. And it immediately had the effect on paper of driving the post office into bankruptcy because it couldn't pay, you know, the $5.5 billion a year uh, vigorous that had just been slapped with. Uh, it tried to. It borrowed, uh, over the next couple of years, it borrowed $15 billion from another government bank. And um, then it just stopped paying it. So it's running this deficit on the books. But in reality, uh, it, it's... Uh, perfectly capable of running a profit every year if it makes a few adjustments, if it gets rid of this, if Congress gets rid of this ridiculous kind of blackmail pension plan. Um, well, wait, wait, wait to, but let, let me ask you one inevitable question, get that out of the way. If they say the Internet is killing them and a lot of people don't use the mails anymore and they use the Internet, is that a true fact? No, that's actually a number of lie, too. It's uh, directly contradicted by hundreds of pages of public records, which are, uh, I use to, to write my story. Um, basically, of course, people are not using first-class mail for letters as much as they used to anymore um, because they use email uh, or they Skype or whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, they're also paying their bills uh, often uh, online, which means right. they're not buying first-class stamps for that. So there has been like a 25% drop in first-class mailing. But consider this. First of all, first-class mailing has traditionally uh, been overpriced. It, it, it was priced to cover much more than just the cost of actually mailing a first-class letter because this extra amount of money in a first-class stamp above the cost of mailing it was used to subsidize junk mail mm -hmm. for, for business. So, first of all, uh, the price of mailing uh, a first-class letter uh, was always more than the price of, of, of actually delivering it. So the drop didn't even fall below that, the drop in use of first-class mail. Mm -hmm. And secondly, you know, with online purchasing through uh, the great Amazon and, and everybody, you know, that, that, uh, that's using uh, the, uh, the U.S. post office to mail packages to you has more than offset uh, any right. fall in first-class right. mail. right. So, uh, you know, uh, there is one thing that, uh, of course, it's inevitable. I'm sure everybody is thinking this, too. Uh, if Daryl Issa, who has $400 million, uh, I'm sure he just got it in the most, you know, laudable way, but we won't even congratulate him. If Issa, Actually, he's, he's, been, he's been indicted several times, so that's okay. We won't go there. Yeah, but that's okay. Uh, you know, 
indicting a government official, I mean, you know, it's fun, but uh, it's only a hobby. Meanwhile, Daryl Issa, if he introduces a bill like this and some of his pals behind him and who knows who it is, and a bill passes like this, when somebody gets killed or there's a really bad crime, there's an old Latin phrase uh, that applies to what the cops, uh, you know, use as an investigatory technique. They say, qui bono, who benefits? So right. right away you have to ask that if somebody comes in practically in the middle of the night, sneaky, and introduces his bill and passes it with almost nobody around, which in a sense is basically bankrupting the post office, and then if they bankrupt the post office, I guess private companies would have to take over. Do you, did you do anything in your investigations to discover anything, anybody who might actually be behind this, companies or lobbyists or anything? Well, actually, the post office has been pretty much privatized anyway. I mean, basically, the only thing they haven't outsourced is putting the mail into your actual mailbox, which is, by law, only allowed to be done by a post office employee. But I'll just give you an example of a few of the uh, corporations that stand to benefit from taking over the entire thing. Parsons Corporation has a $900 million contract to run the post office's uh, facility division, its real estate uh, acquisition, its environmental remediation, design, construction, operations, and maintenance. FedEx Corporation is its largest contractor. Last year, it earned $1.6 billion transporting the U.S. mail between processing centers. Hmm. Kalita Air came in second with a $396 million bill for transporting military mail to Iraq and Afghanistan, just for, for taking mail to the soldiers. United Parcel Service pulled down $126 million for domestic trucking. And then other companies that benefited from trucking uh, were like Pat Salmon and Sons. Hewitt Packard got $143 million. Verizon billed $54 million for cell phones used by employees. Hmm. Uh, in fact, the Postal Service paid its top 25 suppliers, just its top 25 suppliers, $4.5 billion. And that includes paying the consulting firm Accenture $135 million for management and technology services, despite the fact that the U.S. Department of Justice had just forced Accenture to reimburse the Postal Service $63 million for submitting phony invoices. Have you so seen even it? though they had been caught with their hand in the till, they still have the contract. And Accenture, if you may recall, used to uh, be called uh, uh, Anderson. Uh, it was a CPA firm that oh, was right, responsible right. For, for Enron. Right. It just changed their name after the Enron debacle to Accenture. And so all of these contracts were granted to these private companies. Uh, were they necessary? And who was behind this? And, and who were the legislators involved? I mean, that, that, obviously, the post, is the post office independently allowed to give out contracts like this, or did they have to be approved by some government agency or the Congress? Uh, it's pretty much allowed to give out contracts at will. Uh -huh. um, it, the contract that it gave out to sell off the post offices, which it gave to Diane Feinstein's husband's company, which is called C.B. Richard Ellis, or C.B.R.E., mm -hmm. um, was done without even opening up the bidding process to the public, you know. Um, so it's done in secret for the most part. I mean, hmm. you know, the Postal Service is like the rest of the federal government. It's just this kind of giant criminal enterprise run for the, the, the pretty much only for the benefit of um, the 1%. <laughs> well, let, let, let's get into the whole um, specific area of selling off these post offices, which is so visible and enrages so many people, including me. I mean, I live... 
about three blocks away from my local post office, which was uh, this great building built um, by the uh, you know by the WPA, you know, Works Progress Administration, mm-hmm. under the Roosevelt administration. And you know, it's got such history. It was built in 1936, right? And there's the building. is <coughs> It's still in great shape. You go in there, and you have this tremendous sense of history because. People were broke. They were poor. People were dying. They were homeless. And Roosevelt, you know, and the Congress put all these people to work. And they and they worked with a will. You know, they hired construction people, mm-hmm. subcontractors, put up these beautiful buildings. And then there's other post offices all over the country uh, which have uh, tremendous amounts of history going back even before that. Beautiful old buildings, classic buildings, great art that was done, murals in post offices. Uh, so it, it really it, that really affects people when they see a post office being sold. Why are they selling these post offices? Because they have to fund uh, the hole they're in that was created. Well, that, they're claiming that that's one of the reasons. I mean, they have this, you know, multi-billion-dollar hole on paper. But actually, the, the post offices that they're selling is just like in the hundreds of millions of dollars so far. So it's barely making a dent in the hole. The thing is that. Post offices tend to be in downtown areas. They tend to be very large, beautiful buildings, like you mentioned, built during the Works Progress uh, Administration and you know, during the Depression when the federal government actually put people to work, mm-hmm. um, something that the Obama administration has utterly failed to do. Yeah, but, he, and, but, but at least he talks a lot about it. You got to got to yeah, give him credit. I mean, he did it. He, he did it just yesterday. He, he makes constant speeches about how we have to help the middle class and we have to employ more people. And uh, so, I had any guts. If he had any guts or brains uh, when he first came into office, he would have created a WPA or a Manhattan Project type operation to uh, develop alternative energy sources. That's a no-brainer, you know. Well, guts and brains, uh, yeah, hope and change, but no guts and brains. So, moving on with the uh, the real estate here, because that's that's the big focus, because it's connected to this woman Feinstein, who is really something. Yeah, she's a militarist and uh, the worst. Uh, yeah, in a, in a in a spy master, you know, extraordinaire. Oh, yeah. She loves the NSA. She is the main power behind the NSA in Congress. Oh, she is, and she would she would arbitrarily assassinate uh, Julian Assange or Edward Snowden or anybody else, you know, or Chelsea Manning. I mean, yeah. The, well, she's, so she's, she's a fascist, she, is what, what she is. Absolutely, and she's the one who, she, and she's married to this uh, guy, Richard Ellis. And, um, Richard Blum. Richard Blum. Oh, is it Richard Blum? Oh, oh C.B. Richard Ellis. I'm confusing it with the name of the organization. C.B. Richard Ellis is the. It's the largest commercial real estate company in the world, right? Yeah, it is. And Richard Blum is her husband, and um, somehow he got an exclusive contract, or his company got an exclusive contract, Feinstein's um, husband, to sell off all this property. And how is he selling it, and who is he selling it to? He's basically. By contract, supposed to sell it at fair market value uh, in the open market, but he, it turns out that he's selling it at far, far less than their fair market values, and often to his friends and business partners, and even in one case to one of the owners of, of CBR, Richard Ellis, which um, is uh, Goldman Sachs. And um, he got the contract, as I said, in a uh, secret bidding process, so we don't know exactly how it happened. but. It's part of a 30-year track record that Mr. Blum has ever since he married 
Dianne Feinstein when she was the mayor of San Francisco, of leveraging his political connections to get public contracts. I mean, he's had contracts to build all sorts of stuff all over the state of California, up in Boston. He was one of the people that was building that the disastrous Big Dig project, mm -hmm. uh, one of his companies was. Um, and he leverages pension funds, uh, the, the CalPERS pension fund, which is public employees pension fund for public employees in California, is one of the largest uh, investors in the world. And he's got a contract to manage uh, half a billion dollars worth of their stuff, which he puts into his own operations. He's a, a junk bond king. He, he, he buys companies very often and, and guts them turns workers out of jobs and then sells a piecemeal for a profit. Uh, sometimes he keeps them uh, and, and then sells them for a profit by making them, you know, better capitalist companies. But he's also one of the major owners of for-profit educational colleges in the United States, which has come under tremendous pressure over the past couple of years for um, delivering substandard educations to people. Uh, who are forced to take student loans that they, they then are not allowed to discharge through bankruptcy and that are guaranteed by the federal government. So basically, Blum has had his till in the state of California's uh, treasury for years. He leveraged that to have his hand in uh, to the till with uh, Pell Grants uh, supporting uh, educational uh, services that were often not delivered. And he also uh, was a major war contractor when the United States invaded Iraq and Afghanistan. Two of his companies, Perini Corporation and URS Corporation, had billions of dollars in contracts to uh, manufacture weapons and to build buildings that, you know, uh, electrical plants that never worked in Afghanistan and in Iraq and stuff like that. Um, and so this is this is this all of those all of those contracts were actually approved by his wife, who was the chair of the uh, military construction subcommittee of the Senate Appropriations Committee at the time. I actually wrote about it, and um, you can access, access it through the EPUB and stuff. Um, I mean, it's, it's quite scandalous. I mean, she actually approved all these contracts that, that, that were her family's business. Well, let, let me ask you uh, a kind of a, a silly question just to get it out of the way, just, you know, just for form's sake. Why has she not been investigated by the Ethics Committee? Well because they don't hardly ever investigate anybody. The only people they investigate are like some black congressman who, who puts like uh, uh, $60,000 into the freezer of, of his you know, right. refrigerator in, in Louisiana. I mean, that guy didn't have any friends. You know? yeah. so, so, this, so, this, so this sleazy bastard, Richard Blum, uh, married to Diane Feinstein, uh, her lobbying people, she actually says here, according to some of the stuff you wrote, Senator Lines, uh, Feinstein, lobbied the Postmaster General on behalf of a redevelopment project in which her husband's company was involved. Just for that, I think she should be investigated and indicted. But I want, every, I want to point out something that I mention a lot here. We'll just go off topic for a second, in a way. This is Sen Senator Dianne Feinstein, one of the most powerful senators in the entire, I think she's the longest serving senator, and one of the most powerful politicians in this entire country. You see what a fascist uh, she is. You see how she has no respect whatsoever for the Constitution. Her husband is maybe one of the sleaziest bastards in the United States. And uh, she is one of the head, she is the head, or one of the heads, of a party which a lot of people like to think is the lesser of two evils when they vote. I just wanted to get that off my chest. 
let us <laughs> let's move on. Yeah, I don't believe in, I don't believe in this lesser of two evils or uh, theory. Right. I think it's ridiculous. It, it's just a slippery slope into you know corporatism and fascism. And you know, Diane Feinstein is a case in point politically. I mean, the only so-called liberal. Uh, kudos that she has are she's got uh, a liberal position so-called on abortion and at one point 20 years ago she was against automatic weapons being put in the hands of children you know um, that's no longer really the case I mean basically she's been a war hawk she's against union organizing I mean People think she's a liberal for some reason. Well, she, she, she comes. She comes. Really com department. Well, she comes. Yeah, she comes from San Francisco, and once upon a time, she backed the right things to get elected. That's all, you know. Yeah, and ever since then, she's been to the right of you know somebody like George Wallace, practically. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, in terms of military stuff, and, and and the San Francisco Chronicle, which is this horrible Hearst newspaper here in the Bay Area, is constantly writing hate geographical articles about her, extolling her, you know, for sticking up for women and um, people of color, which nothing could be further from the truth, especially third world women. I mean, she, she she's all in favor of blowing them up with drones. Well, let's. Uh, let's let's just wait six months and find out exactly uh, who on the paper is being paid what to write these things. But moving on with uh, your book, Going Postal. If you're just tuning in, this is Peter Byrne, B-Y-R-N-E, author of uh, Going Postal. Senator Dianne Feinstein's husband, selling post offices to his friends cheap. You can buy this book on Amazon. Well worth reading. Um, uh, you mentioned in an article here on Alternet, which is uh, summing up some of the stuff in the book, uh, in June 2013, uh, Postal Service Inspector General David C. Williams published a scathing audit of CBREs, Richard Blum's company, exclusive contract to manage all the sales and leasing of postal real estate. Uh, the, um, postal uh, the Postal Service Inspector General noted that outsourcing these activities to a single firm is, quote, a fundamental change from how the Postal Service previously managed its real estate portfolio and um, facilities officials should improve oversight to mitigate inherent risks associated with the CBRE contract. Specifically, there are conflict of interest concerns. So what did it mean or what does it mean that the Postal Service Inspector General came out with that very damning statement and he was being polite? Yeah, that's pretty amazing because those guys usually are just engaged in, in cover-ups. And, you know, clearly he didn't dig into this as deeply as I did. Mm -hmm. uh, but I actually did obtain all of the invoices that CBRE did for 52 of the sales that they uh, had done after they got the contract in June 2011. And a good number of those invoices didn't even have the proper amounts on them. There was multi-million dollar deals in Boston, for example, in the Seaport District that uh, the CBRE was the broker on. And their invoice just didn't even have the address of the uh, property that it sold. Uh, it didn't say what the commission rate was. It just said, pay us $367,000. Hmm. This is like, anybody who's familiar with government contracting issues realize that, that that's like, you know, going into a, a bank and giving them a blank piece of paper and they give you $100,000 or whatever. I mean, and, then you, and, and, and you might done. fill it in later if you want to, right? 
Yeah, it's actually it, it clearly. I mean, this entire book is a blueprint for indictments on multiple levels of post office officials, of of corporate executives uh, that conspired with post office officials. Uh, it's one of the the biggest frauds that that I've run across in my career because there's hundreds of millions of dollars worth of real estate. I mean, billions of dollars actually. The the entire real estate portfolio, portfolio of the U.S. Postal Service is is calculated to be worth eighty five billion dollars. So even a, a small fraction of that's a lot of money. Money, you know. um, well, you, you, let's move on to this. Uh, you know, I, I hope something comes of this. I mean, maybe we can get somebody like uh, Alan Grayson or something to uh, to introduce a, a bill looking to investigate this more uh, more thoroughly. I mean, I actually occasionally speak to him on my serious radio show. I mean, he'd be a good person to do this. Um, well, Ralph Nader actually wrote a... You might have Nader on. Ralph uh, Nader wrote a letter to Senator Feinstein after this came out, uh, uh, quoting from my article extensively and, uh-huh. and asking her to uh, ask for a moratorium on the sales of post offices and an investigation of her husband's company. Um, apparently, um, Nader has not heard back from her, however. No kidding. Well, actually, it may be that uh, even uh, a very um, liberal or leftist or or outspoken congressperson who is at the bottom of the heap of the Democratic Party is not going to want to offend Dianne Feinstein if they want to keep their job. So it's a tough, uh, tough road. Uh, it says here, you were mentioning before that uh, Blum, among his other crimes, is, uh, I say, I put that in quotes because I have no proof of them, but you do. Um, he is selling for all these properties that lower their innocence. He's been charged with selling off these properties because the post office is broke. So he should make as much money, obviously, for the post office as he can. A lot of these are valuable properties. But right. you say he's, sending the, he's selling them under the assessed value. How does that work? I mean, what's the assessed value and why is he doing it and how is he doing that? The assessed value is the amount that you as a property owner pay in taxes every year based on an amount. Say it's assessed at $100,000, your tax is 1%, you pay you know $1,000. It's usually the uh, price at which a property was sold uh, with small yearly increments added. So if 10 years ago it was sold for a million dollars and it's now worth $10 million, it can still be assessed at one at $1 million. Uh, Often properties are uh, worth multiples of their assessed values, and mm-hmm. that's why you have appraisals. Professional appraisals go out and determine what the value, what the fair market value is of a property, how much it would bring in uh, the current market. Now, the weird thing about this contract with CBRE is not only were they the agent for selling the the properties for the post office, but they also did the appraisals, which is a total conflict of interest. And they also were allowed by the post office to represent the buyers. Now, this violates the fundamental (laughs) rule of real estate transactions, which is that the buyer has an agent that represents the buyer's interest, and the seller has an agent that represents the seller's interest. It's insane to have one agent representing both because one of them's going to get screwed, right? Well, guess who got screwed in these deals? Yeah, well, the, the people in the United States. I mean, you know, the well, same... Fact, but the fact... You, you, people have often asked me, well, why would they sell them for less than their value if yeah. they're making the commission? Right. The commission is just, it's nothing. It's just, a, you know, it's like 4% or 6% at most. You know, the, the art of the deal is where these real estate agents get going. They, they're, you know, they look at the Boston transactions, for example. Mm-hmm. They're redeveloping the Seaport District. It's a multi-billion dollar, thousand-acre redevelopment deal. And CBRE is the real estate agent for the partnership, for the real estate partnership that's doing the redevelopment of it. And when that partnership wanted to buy 
incredibly valuable property in downtown Boston to develop, it allowed its agent, CBRE, bought it from the post office, and it represented both the, the uh, partnership, uh, the, the real estate partnership that was buying it, and the post office. And that's why they sold it for under its uh, its assessed value. That's why they're selling the stuff cheap. It's because they're selling it to their business partners, and they're making more money from getting it cheap than they would off of a commission. Man, these, this guy really belongs in jail, along with his wife. It's absolutely astounding. Unbelievable. Well, the people at the post office that allow this to happen belong in jail, too. I oh, mean, now, the, now the who, guy was, Yeah, who, who are we talking about when we talk about that? I mean, who who do you mean? Well, the head of the facilities division, a man named Tom Samra, S-A-M-R-A, makes a salary of $198,000 a year. But according to the economic disclosure statement that he has to file, he's worth actually as much as $90 million, even though he lives in a a small, modest home in Vienna, Virginia. He flies regularly uh, first class, often to Europe, and dines with, according to his expense reports, Swiss executives. He'll, like, fly to Switzerland first class for a day and then come home. And what does that tell you? What could he be doing in Switzerland? <laughs> well, maybe he's looking at Swiss post offices, uh, Peter. I mean, you don't know. Yeah. Right? It could yeah, be. Maybe they want to um, get some ideas from the Swiss banking industry yeah, about you know, how to check out uh, Swiss stamps. Uh, he's stamp collector, could be. Uh, so, but so, not only that, I mean, yeah. his entire division is just a cesspool of corruption. I got the expense reports. Um, for the credit cards that are are used by the um, uh, his employees there, and just to give you an example, um, uh, one of them, Elaine Vaughn, who makes eighty five thousand dollars a year, mm-hmm. regularly spends thousands of dollars at uh, uh, an exclusive restaurant called Legal Seafoods, while she's not like eating uh, thousands of dollars of barbecue at a place called Famous Dave's. Mm-hmm. I mean, these people stay in uh, expensive hotels. They buy gift certificates online. Um, they uh, buy huge dinners for themselves. I mean, this is stuff that any any one of them should be, you know, indicted for misuse of credit cards. But that was what I found. That the inspector general actually did a review of how uh, credit cards are used by the headquarters staff at LaFont Plaza, which is their headquarters in Washington, D.C., and he found that the executives there, including the very top people, were uh, helping themselves to um, pornography. They were paying their home mortgages. They were buying Mac computers on their government credit cards. Mm. And none of them got indicted. The inspector general says that they're doing this, and then nothing happens. Meanwhile, there's this a gigantic is- argument in Congress, and the president goes along with because he has no guts, uh, obviously, about um, you know, cutting uh, Medicare, cutting Social Security. There's a tremendous food argument. Stamps. Of, yeah, food stamps. They want to get rid of food. So they are trying to get rid of, they already have, and they want to get rid of uh, almost all the food stamps through the Farm Bill. They're arguing violently over whether or not to increase uh, the minimum wage to something like $10, which is still poverty level. And meanwhile, all this is happening, right? I mean, it's astounding. Yeah, well, you know, I don't... <laughs> You know, I don't like to just trash public employees for the sake of trashing public employees mm-hmm. because plenty of pu- public employees are great, you know. But there's a whole culture in public service which basically says take what you can, right? Mm-hmm. And especially in the federal government, I mean, there's just day after day. If, if you if you read the regular newspapers, you will never know. But 
There, there is a, uh, a publication uh, called the Federal Times that's put out that's, uh, by Gannett that federal employees read, and probably they're the only people that do besides newspaper reporters like me. And basically, it comes out every week, and it's just full of Inspector General report after Inspector General report showing just vast subterranean movements of absolute corruption, uh, and some of which, you know, results in indictments and in, and in jail. But, you know, a lot of it is just business as usual. And, you know, I'm sorry, but public employees need to be accountable. And before we go taking away food stamps and, and, and shelter, uh, from people that have been completely like run over by Wall Street, you know, crashing the economy repeatedly mm-hmm. over the years. Uh, we need to actually hold these public employees accountable too, and and the the, the Congress people that that fund them, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. when they shut mm-hmm. down the government, you know, I, I was I had some mixed feelings about that. I was like, okay, yeah, let's just operate everything locally. <laughs> we don't need these people. I mean, they, of course, they kept the army and homeland security, you know, completely funded. Also, they got they know. also they got paid regularly. The cong- uh, Congress people. Oh, got they paid. got paid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they have health care. There isn't. I got to say, you know, I've been covering politics for you know decades, and there is not at this point a single member of Congress that I have any ethical regard for. Mm-hmm. They are all in the pockets of their campaign con- contributors, and and you know these contributions aren't the kinds of contributions that that you get reported and that you can right. read in a database. That you know everybody that looks at this stuff closely knows that it's cash under the table. You know that's the way it works. Well, let me let, let me ask you this question. I mean, uh, often during like say, midterm elections, or certainly during the last presidential election. I mean, for many years now, I've been backing the Green Party. I would never vote for a, a regular Democrat, especially in a national level ever. Uh, and I notice more and more, actually, it's encouraging that there are. Uh, people elected to city councils, uh, people who are mayors. Uh, there's a mayor out in California, I forget her name, but she was interviewed on this show, uh, who is a member of the Green Party. I think it's Richmond, California. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so oh, more, yeah, yeah. So she, I, yeah, she's great. Yeah, yeah. she's terrific. She, I had her on, and she is the real deal. I mean, so, and she say she's a Green Party candidate. She beat out uh, the lesser of two evil Democrats. Ha, ha. So, right. I mean, um, but people always tell me, here's a question, and I'll ask you, because people always complain bitterly to me, uh, listeners to this show, some listeners saying, especially on to the serious show, uh, when I go on about when I have, uh, you know, uh, Jill Stein on or I talk to the mayor of Richmond and I go uh, tell people, go vote in the, for the Green Party. Some people say, yeah, that's good. Meanwhile, we're throwing our vote away. We have to vote for the Democrats, lesser of two evils. I mean, what is your general response to that? Oh, that's just total BS. I mean, the lesser of two evils leaves you with what? It leaves you with an evil. I mean, I thought we lived in a democracy. Actually, we live in a plutocracy, but people mm-hmm. think we live in a democracy. What kind of democracy gives you a choice between the Aaron boys for one billionaire faction or or another? I mean, the lesser of two evil theories just a- allows the uh, the system to keep perpetuating itself. And the thing is that people always say, well, if you don't, I got in trouble because I don't vote for these people either. I voted for Nader. I, I right. voted for uh, Carolyn McKinney when she ran against uh, Obama in, in 2008. You mm-hmm. know, she was the Green Party candidate. She was a, a, a former congresswoman from Georgia. Um, and 
you know, when people said, who'd you vote for? And I said, McKinney. They went, you voted for McCain? And I said, no, I voted for McKinney. And they're like, who's that? And I'm like, didn't you read your ballot? She was on the ballot in 50 states. Mm -hmm. I mean, didn't, do you just sign contracts without reading them? You didn't look at your ballot to see who you could vote for? People automatically assume they only have one choice, but actually there are. Uh, some other choices, and there should be a lot more, and maybe one day there will be because we can't. But you, but you, but you, but, away our vote. but you know we the argument. You know the argument. You know the argument. If it's very close, I mean, you know, look at like I have all these articles here. I was going to talk about, uh, and I may still, you know, this whole argument about the minimum wage. Well. Uh, overwhelmingly, the Republican Party is dead set against raising the minimum wage for the usual nonsensical, uh, you know, reason, you know, the points that don't that don't work at all. And the and the Democrats are something like eighty percent in favor of raising the minimum wage, the re, which, by the way, doesn't mean anything much anyhow because you're still going to be in poverty. But nevertheless, but the Republicans are dead set against. It. So you go down several issues or many many issues: abortion, minimum wage, unions, everything. The Republicans are, at a national level at least, uh, often at a state level, clear. Clearly worse than the Democrats. They really are. But in the end, if you're going to vote, like you say, for the Democrats uh, as opposed to the Republicans choosing the lesser, and, and they are, in fact, the lesser of two evils, but on a larger picture, you're still constantly walking down that road to uh, a corporate, uh, you know, a corporate state uh, fascism. You know. Hey, the Democrats. The Democrats have had the opportunity to raise the minimum wage for decades, and I don't see them doing it. I mean, Obama, when he came into office, actually control the, the Democrats controlled both houses. He had a, a right. golden opportunity, and he threw it away by licking the rear end of the Tea Party, which he's still doing. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, these people don't serve. Uh, liberal agendas, or they serve corporate agendas, and the corporate agenda is what we see going on right now, which is the strangulation of uh, the, the public wealth uh, in order to expropriate it into private hands. It's the socialization of risk and the privatization of, of profit. Now, let, let me, let me, let me uh, mention the book again, lest people forget. The book, uh, which is, uh, I think everybody should buy this book, and you hear uh, Peter telling you what's in the book. The book is actually, literally, has all these, uh, and he did tremendous amount of investigation, got all these documents, put it together. The book is, as he said, a blueprint for an indictment against all these people, and they should be indicted, and they should be in jail, and they should be forced to give back all this money. And um, the book is called Going Postal. Uh, U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein's husband sells post office to his friends. Post offices to his friends cheap, and you see, it's got all this other stuff in there and all the details too. And uh, you can get it on Amazon uh, as an ebook. And the good part about that is that as you're going along, reading it on any kind of tablet that you have or a Kindle, you can click on something and go straight to where the actual documents are to see the backup for what he's saying. And also, you can order it as a um, as a print-on-demand book, uh, paperback. And um, uh, there was one last thing, too, in the alternate article uh, that you wrote, which, you know, sort of brings all these things together in a way, too. I mean, they, don't, they leave no uh, disgusting stone unturned, these, uh, these people. Uh, you're talking about uh, much of the Postal Service's land in the Seaport District. That's in Boston, right? Uh, right. You say has been soaking in a toxic stew of industrial chemicals for 200 years. What's the deal with all that, and how's that working out financially for, uh, you know, Richard Ellis? Oh, there's this like thousand acre sea uh, 
Port District used to be docks in, in Boston and landfill, and you know over the last 200 years it, uh, it has been subject to every kind of you know chemical and, and fossil fuel waste that there is. And in order to actually de- redevelop it, it had to be uh, cleaned up. And CBRE Richard Ellis uh, has been working on this for, with the post office for for quite some time. They've been using uh, federal funds to uh, remediate some of this toxic waste and mm-hmm. and then selling the land um, into the private sector you know I mean it would be one thing if they sold it and then the private developer had to remediate it but that's not the way that this has been working um, and um, the terrible thing about it though is that the remediation according to the public records I saw isn't really remediation I mean they're actually warning people not to have child care centers and uh, or to breathe uh, the air in the the new offices oh, that are that's being useful built. that's helpful yeah yeah I mean the, the state of Massachusetts uh, environmental agency is is just appalled by by the fact that they've they've already built like a convention center and office buildings and stuff like that uh, in residences uh, lofts in, in, in apartment buildings on this toxic stew and you know It'll take decades to find out if the cancer rate goes up, but the environmental agency is is appalled by what's going on. But this doesn't stop um, this uh, uh, real estate venture, Commonwealth Ventures, which CBRE is part of and, and uh, Goldman Sachs is part of, uh, from proceeding. Well, let, um, let me let me ask you. Uh, uh, you've done all this. You did this tremendous amount of investigatory work uh, for which you should get a, an award, like a Pulitzer or something like that. I mean, and you you worked on it for so long. You put your heart and soul into it. Um, what if, let me ask you this question. I hate to be cynical, but often this stuff makes you cynical, obviously. What if absolutely nothing at all comes of this? I mean, you're going to still keep digging on new subjects. I mean, are you working on something new? Well, it won't be the first time that I've exposed something. I mean, nothing came of it. <laughs> but, you, but you still keep plugging, right? I mean, you still keep after it. Yeah, yeah. it's fun, you know. And, um, you know, that's how I make my living. Uh, right. Hopefully, it will continue into the future. Yeah. Um, already something has happened with this. I mean, people were outraged about it. Tonight, I was invited to go to Berkeley to uh, do a keynote address to a meeting uh, run by some Occupy people, actually, um, Mm -hmm. that are protesting the Berkeley post office closure. And um, they've actually pre-ordered a bunch of copies of, of the book. Uh-huh. Uh, cuz they want to use it as kind of an organizing tool and as a it's information. So, you know, I'm actually quite pleased with the fact that the masses of people and the people that are concerned about post offices have paid a lot of attention to this investigation. The sector that is trying to ignore it is the mainstream media and believe me they know about it, but they're definitely um ignoring it as much as possible because well, yeah. this is the kind of thing that organizations like, say, ProPublica, which is supposed to be this great investigative nonprofit. Uh, if, if you go to yeah. ProPublica, yeah. look at who their board of directors are and who their funders are. They're all the same people that we're supposed to be exposing. And then you look at ProPublica, they don't hardly expose anything. They go after nursing homes and 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 health home health care workers and people like that but they never name names they never go after politicians that are doing things like this mm-hmm. and they will never go after you know the post office to expose this sort of thing and it's the same with all of these so-called investigative nonprofits they've been bought up by billionaires you know mm-hmm. it's really quite amazing I mean it's a whole issue right now that, that it'd be worth discussing at some length at a, another well, time speak, speak, and, wait, speaking of billionaires uh, there's one place that a billionaire funded and got off the ground and made possible 
possible um, that actually would investigate this and would expose it, and that's Democracy Now!, uh, who got a lot of their original funding from George Soros, you know, so that's the way the world goes. But um, have you been, have you had any contact with Democracy Now!, have you been on there? No, I actually sent um, press releases about this to Democracy Now! and probably a hundred other, you know, kind of mainstream organizations. Um, I never heard back anything from Democracy Now! I, I kind of like Democracy Now! Yeah, but, me too. You know, it has its limitations, but, you know... Um, well, maybe you know. No. Yeah, maybe see, they won't. They won't touch. They won't touch a Democrat. You know, on democracy now, for the most part. Oh uh, yeah, no, no. Is... Democracy now goes after Obama and other Democrats. I've seen them do that. I mean, I think there's a chance there. I mean, uh, I don't know. I wish I had more influence over there. I mean, I know her for like a long time. We worked at BAI, going way back. Uh-huh. But if I was to recommend something, it turns into a competition thing. So you know. Well, you know, it's funny. I mean, yeah, they they will criticize Obama, but I, I don't, you know, uh, and they've done some good work on the drones and, oh, yeah. and stuff like that. But for the most part, the uh, the media um, will not go after really powerful politician like Diane Feinstein because she runs the uh, Senate Intelligence Committee, and people don't want to piss off the so-called intelligence community. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Because they can do whatever they want to you, and they can do it in secret. Yeah, no, and true. And businesses don't want to open that can of snakes. I, you know, somebody sent me, a listener sent me a, an email the other day talking about, I think there's a story that was written about this somewhere online. Uh, the NSA uh, went, there's this company, uh, a company, a couple of companies where you can um, make any kind of custom T-shirt you want and sell it, you know. You know those companies online. Yeah. And, and um Apparently, someone came up with this great T-shirt, um, uh, which looks like it has it an, um, an imitation of, or a very close imitation of, the National Security Agency's um, uh, emblem or logo. You know, it's a big circle, and it says uh, on it, it said, "NSA, the only government, the only part of government that is really listening." <laughs> and uh, yeah. what happened was the NSA's lawyers wrote to this, um, you know, yeah. and they said, this is our copyrighted material, it's our trademark, and they had to take it off. So there was a, but still, if you try hard, by the way, boys and girls, <laughs> you might be able to go online and buy one of these t-shirts. It's the coolest thing. It's got uh, the logo, and it says NSA, uh, the only part of government that's really listening. So, uh, Well, do you yeah. think that the NSA officials that are privy to all this information aren't using it to short stocks in the market and, you know, for other, you know, oh. kind of financial enrichment? Of course they are, you know. I mean, it's, the NSA is a criminal enterprise as much as anything else. So, and, so but, know, look, but look, what is, what is our future here? You know, I, I hate to leave people with, like, uh, total despair and no chance whatsoever that things are ever going to get better. I mean... Give me, uh, give me a ray of hope, and if you don't have any, that's okay. But is there? Do you see it ever turning around? Because it's, it's. Oh yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the entire American uh, experiment is collapsing, and uh, you know, in terms of its uh, capitalist uh, uh, oriented you know, structure, and you know, the masses of people will survive. You know, um, we've been massively brainwashed in, in this country by our terrible educational system and, and our horrible entertainment complex to to venerate and, and just, you know, kowtow to people like uh, uh, Warren Buffett and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, people, uh, Rockefeller and Bill Gates and, you know, just these, these absolute pirates, you know. Um, but, you know, th- their facade is starting to collapse and 
you know, capitalism has only been around for 300 years. I mean, feudalism was around for 4,000 years, and, you know, things change. Nothing so, will remain the same. What we need is a vision for the future, mm-hmm. Mike. Most people have no vision for the future. They think it's just going to be the same way as it always was, but that's not true. It never is. So we need to actually start thinking about what it's going to look like in the future instead of just, you know, bemoaning our, our, our outcast state, as it well, were. Well, I, I see. Yeah, I I see I, I, you know what? Actually, I just got a signal. We only have like a minute and a half left. I see compromises. To me, compromise is a dead end. Right now, I'm into, I'm using the word revolution more often than I ever did before. That doesn't mean violent revolution necessarily, but I mean revolution. The wheel has, sure, to, turn, has to turn 180 degrees. What we need to do is uh, take all this stuff back from all these people that have all of it and uh, redistribute it, to use a certain word. We have to- we have to dismantle our social system and build it up again from the grassroots. Okay, so uh, got to go here at the end of the hour. I really appreciate your coming on, and I'm so glad you wrote this book. Everybody should read it, and then they should get in touch with their uh, Congress people and their senators and say, do something about this, or you're part of the problem. Uh, the book is, tell people the name of the book, and then we got to go. Going Postal, U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein's husband sells post offices to his friends cheap. By Peter Byrne, B-Y-R-N-E. And, uh, okay, we'll talk to you as time goes on. All right, Mike. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Peter. Okay, that's it for this week. We'll be back next week with another interesting show where we hope we can build a better world. Because I went walking, living in-